0: Good morning. Good Good to see you. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 will be our text this morning. Uh, We are finishing up our series uh, from the month of July on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We've been doing a series called Teach Me to Pray Uh, working our way kind of phrase by phrase through a very familiar prayer, both for people who are very familiar with church and those who who maybe are not, we still often know the Lord's Prayer. We've been looking at that because the Lord's Prayer is a guide. In fact, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, this is what Jesus did. He gave them the Lord's Prayer. So it's meant to encourage us and to teach us uh, how we should pray. And so this morning, uh, oh my goodness, I hope you brought a seatbelt. Goodness, the last three weeks, I've dealt with one phrase a week. I have three phrases to do this morning. Um, So get comfortable. So let's read the text. If you're able to stand, please do so as we want to honor the reading of God's word. It is our authority. And let's look here at Matthew chapter 6, start with verse 5, and then we'll read down uh, through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They, they, love, they think that they'll be heard for their many words. But don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then Jesus says here, verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray with me. Father, we are so thankful for Your Word. Pray, Lord, now that You would teach us through it. Open our eyes to see and hearts to receive another lesson on how to pray. Help this not just be intellectual, but effectual in our lives as we learn to commune with you in a more deep and intimate way and as you have instructed us to. We ask this to the glory of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Jim Braddock, or as you may know him, uh, Cinderella man. Uh, was a professional boxer back in the late 1920s in fact, um, his career was so impressive after the first three years of his boxing career, his record was forty four and two that 's pretty impressive uh, in fact, no actually pun intended here. Uh, everything was kind of in his corner. I mean, everybody loved him. Fans loved him. His, his manager would brag about him to everybody that he would talk to. He was at the height of the game. Uh, but two things really caused Jim's right at the top to come to a scratching hole. First was, in one of the uh, boxing matches, he broke his right hand. He tried to continue to fight. He tried to continue his career, but he wasn't able uh, to do so. The second big thing that happened was by 1933, you have the Great Depression uh, that settled in. And Jim, like many, many Americans during that time, uh, could not find work. Uh, He couldn't find a job. And in fact, what Jim did, him and his family, they moved to a very poor neighborhood. Uh, Jim's wife actually stood in line every day uh, to get food. Uh, for the family. They didn't have enough money to pay uh, their bills. Uh, In fact, what they had to end up doing was they sent their kids off to live with relatives because they could not feed them. And Jim, facing this very desperate, very helpless situation, had to swallow his pride and to ask others for help.
1: Thing is, I can't afford to. Uh, I can't afford to pay the heat. I've had to farm out my kids. You know, to keep cutting shifts down at the docks, and you just don't get picked every day. I sold everything I got that anybody would buy. I went on public assistance. I signed on at the relief office. They gave me $19. I need another $18.38 so I can pay the bill and get the kids back. You know me well enough to know if I had anywhere else to go, I wouldn't be here. If you could help me through this time, I sure would be grateful.
0: Sure, Jim. Sure. Good luck. Jim. Hey, Jimmy. Here you go, Jim. Have you ever found yourself in a desperate situation? I mean, you're completely helpless. You don't have anywhere to turn. You don't have anywhere to go. And the only thing that you can do is hold out your hand and ask for help. That's a condition, that's a situation that the American psyche does not like to be in. And yet, it's that kind of desperation, it's that kind of helplessness that Jesus wants in our prayer life. You see, the problem with most of our prayers, the problem certainly with most of my prayers, is not that they're desperate. It's that they are not desperate enough. Jesus here in these last three requests of the Lord's Prayer is calling us to complete helplessness to total desperation. I mean, just think of the whole flow of the prayer as we've looked at the last few weeks. Jesus starts by exposing self-righteous and self-centered prayers. Look back at verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues that they'll be seen by others. Verse 7. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus blasts through prideful prayers by starting by reminding us who we're praying to. Hello, we're praying to the God in heaven. I mean, nothing will make you feel smaller than realizing who you're praying to. And and not only is He the God who's in heaven, but we're able to call Him Father only because of adopting grace, only because He has adopted you into His family. You didn't deserve that. And when we understand the magnitude of that grace, the amazing part of grace, we don't want our lives to be about our name anymore. What do we pray? How would be your name? How in the world could I make this about me when I understand your grace, when I when I know who I'm praying to? And if you really want God's name to be hallowed, His name to be honored in your life and in your prayer life, you've got to step off the throne of your life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And here it is. You ready? If you're not king anymore, if you're not queen then the only role you play is better. You see, when I realize that I am not king of my life anymore, the only hope I have is to look outside myself for help. I'm not king. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray that and when we mean that, it creates a sense of total desperation in our lives. And that's what Jesus wants from us. Now, this is making some of you uncomfortable, and that's perfectly fine. In fact, if you want to go back, we could go back just one chapter. This Lord's Prayer comes under a larger sermon known as the what? The Sermon on the Mount. How does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount? With the Beatitudes. How does Jesus start the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The spiritual beggars For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has taken us, if you know the flow of the text, Jesus Jesus has taken us from prayers that look like this. Look at me. Look at what I say. I'm trying to twist God's arm. It's all about my desires. Very prideful to prayers on bended knee with hands laid out saying help. That's when you're really praying. And Jesus here teaches us that as king, because he's king, your kingdom come, there are three things we need from him daily that we cannot provide for ourselves. Number one is this. Jesus teaches here to be desperate for provision. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread, which kind of sounds redundant, doesn't it? Give us this day our daily Bread. Now, the phrase really means this. Give us the bread that we need for today. Give us the bread that we need for today. Remember, Jesus is talking to people, his listeners here, the disciples. I mean, many of them were fishermen. uh, They lived day by day. They didn't live paycheck by paycheck. They lived literally day by day there were no guarantees of food for tomorrow. Uh, Most people would work, get paid at the end of the day and have just enough food to buy food or just enough money to buy food for that day. We don't relate to that, do we? I mean, we have Costco's, you know, and Sam's or Byerly's or insert your favorite grocery store. I mean, we, we buy food for two weeks or a month. I, I bet there are very few of us here this morning who, if we looked in your kitchen, only have enough food for today. We are obsessed with food. We can go out today and go to a buffet and eat so much we can't walk. I mean, we just, its and that's not wrong. I'm just saying we have a hard time relating. I'm, listen to how comedian Jim Gaffigan who you know, I like Jim Gavkin describes our abundance of food. I do love going out to dinner. Guy, I always get the appetizer, because the appetizer is just an excuse for an extra meal. You know, let's see, I will start with the 80 buffalo wings. And do you have a locale blue cheese? I don't want to fill up too much. It would be embarrassing trying to explain what an appetizer is to someone from a starving country. Really? yeah, the appetizer, that's food we eat before we
1: have our food. Yeah. No, no, you're thinking of dessert, that's food we eat after we have our food.
0: Yeah, we eat tons of food. Sometimes it's so much we just stick in a bag, bring it home. You ever get the doggy bag? You're like, no, no, put this in a box, and a bag, and I'll bring it home and throw it out tomorrow. Now that's so true, isn't it? I mean, we have so much of an abundance of food... That this phrase, give me what I need to get through the day, is foreign. It's totally foreign. But food in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, is a sign of God's provision. Adam and Eve, God gives them food. Israel, they're wandering around, God gives them manna from heaven. The Passover, there is bread to remind them of God's ultimate provision. Jesus takes a fish and loaves and he multiplies it to feed people. Jesus takes the bread and he says, this is my body. Why? Because it's going to be the ultimate provision for us, namely the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, all throughout the Bible, food, food, food is a sign associated with God providing for His people who are helpless without Him. And so the, 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 the main thrust of this phrase, give us our daily bread, is do you trust your Father to provide for you? Do you trust your Father? Now, because we don't really relate in the area of food so much, let me ask you some different ways. When the economy is hard, do you give more or less? Who's your provider? The economy or God? When you're suffering, do you give up? Do you throw in the towel? Do you get angry at God? Or do you trust that His mercy is new every day? When you're facing a difficult decision, am I supposed to marry this guy? Should I take this job? Do you trust that God will give you what you need when you need it? Can I ask you a very penetrating question that absolutely shot through me this week? What is it in your daily life that makes you desperate for God's provision? And if the answer is nothing, then it may very well mean we don't live by faith. We live by our own strength. Because we have enough. We don't have needs but I'm telling you, if you pray your kingdom come, your will be done. That puts you in a very desperate situation. And if you're not desperate in your life for God to provide in some way, I mean, man, I, I had this guy come after me after the first service, caught me in the hallway. I mean, he's got tears. His wife is suffering. And he says, man, watching my wife suffer drives me to the throne every day. And I'm like, yes, yes. That's what Jesus is teaching here. What is it that drives you to his throne, which is where you need to be? Is there anything that makes you that desperate? And if the answer is no, then you can't pray the Lord's Prayer. You say, back that up, buddy. Okay. The Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. And the whole understanding that we relate to God as Father is that we need Him to provide for us. Just a few verses later here in Matthew 6, look at verse 25 and 26. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. I'm not going to comment there. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, and hear the Lord's prayer right here. Yet your heavenly Father, your Father who's in heaven, feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? If you relate to God as Father... It means you're relating to him as the one who is providing for you daily. And not only that, this prayer of give us what we need for the day relates to God's name being glorified in our life. Notice how in Proverbs it ties this idea of daily provision in God's name. Proverbs 30, eight and 9. Proverbs 38, 9 says this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. And here it is. Profane the name of my God. In other words, man, God, I need you to provide for me because if I get a whole bunch of stuff on my own, I won't even know who you are. And if you don't provide for me, I'm just telling you, I'm going to steal some stuff. So what I need, so that your name is glorified in my life, is I need you to provide what I need every day. If you're not in that kind of desperation, you won't relate to the Lord's Prayer because... If you're not exercising desperate faith, you're not relating to God as Father, nor do you have opportunities in your life where God can show off. And I don't hesitate in saying show off. Show you how faithful He is. Where you're just blown away. God, I had no idea how I would even have food, but you dropped it out of heaven. Those are, those are moments when God looks really, really big in your life. But when we're dependent upon ourselves, there's not a lot of room for that to happen. Now, I want to make one more note to move on again. Can we just have like three hours? There is so much in these three phrases. But isn't it awesome that God cares so much about you that He wants you to ask for bread? I'm just struck by that. You know, the whole father who's in heaven, like who's upholding Mars and billions of stars that he knows by name and like seven billion people in the world, and yet he cares so much about you, he invites you to come and ask him for food. That's a pretty awesome dad, isn't it? We are desperate for God's provision in our life. Here's the second thing we're desperate for. We are desperate for pardon verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The Bible calls us debtors. We we have debts to God. Other people have debts to us. The problem is that with our debt, it's it's not to the IRS. I, it may be, okay, but not ultimately. Or the KJB or your mom or the bank. Okay, you may owe them some money, but that's not your ultimate debt. Your ultimate debt is to the one true and living God. You you you've broken his law? fallen short of giving Him glory time and time and time again, and you're in big-time debt. And here's the problem. You can't in a million, trillion, billion, trillion years pay it off. You can't. You're in debt. And Jesus really describes this just perfectly in Matthew 18. So either turn over or follow on the screen here, Matthew 18, when Jesus, I think, unpacks even more what we see here in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells a story. And look at verse 23, Matthew 18. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So we still get this idea of he's king and I'm desperate, which which I'm arguing for in the Lord's prayer. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was about 20 years' wages, so you have 200,000 years of salary. 200,000 years. In other words, an impossible debt. Verse 25, since he could not pay, duh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That's completely just and right and very common in Jesus' day. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees. Do you remember what I'm t- calling you to beg? Huh? He's on his knees, he's begging, he's desperate, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave Him the debt. That's amazing. That's amazing. Impossible debt, just verdict, a plea for mercy, and extraordinary grace. Extraordinary grace. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the sweetness of the gospel? The gospel is not that you have a boo-boo and need a band-aid. It's not that you have behavioral problems and need counseling. It is that you have a debt that you can't pay and you deserve eternal justice. But if you plea for mercy, God, 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 God Himself pays that debt for you and sets you free. That's the gospel. Psalms 103 says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions for us. Amen. I mean, is there, is there a welling up within you that's like, man, how awesome is this that all my debt has been paid? Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us how much? All our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Don't you love the reality of forgiveness? Forgive us our debts. But what about the responsibility of forgiveness? We rejoice in the fact that the nails were driven in Jesus' hands to forgive us of our sins. But what about when somebody drives a nail in you? You see, the prayer isn't just forgive us our debts, but what's the second part of the phrase? As we also have forgiven our debtors. That phrase, as we, can mean in proportion to. In other words, the re- this is scary, folks. The request is God, forgive me in proportion to how I forgive others. That's dangerous. In fact, look at verse uh, 14 and 15 right after the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. In other words, here's how you know that you've experienced God's forgiveness. You forgive others. The way that you know that you've experienced God's forgiveness is that you are willing to forgive others. In fact, some of you know I left out the second half of the story in Matthew 18. Look back there at verse 28, and you'll see it on the screen. But when that same servant, that is the servant who was forgiven 200,000 years of salary... When he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That's about three months right here. Which, which debt would you rather have, the 200,000 years or the three month? I'd take the three month. He owed him 100 denarii. What did he do? He seized him. He began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Interestingly enough, the same thing that guy did. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he could pay the debt. Now jump down to verse 32. Then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant. Wow, that's strong language. Why? Why does he say that? I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? all of a sudden the sweetness of forgiveness loses its flavor anybody with me you see it makes no sense in gospel terms to have been forgiven an impossible debt only to refuse to forgive a lesser debt right here i didn't say a debt that didn't hurt you i didn't say a debt that's not serious I didn't say a debt that's not awful. I just said it's lesser than our debt to God. And when a Christian, I'll get mail for this, that's okay. When a Christian says, I cannot forgive, they have forgotten the cross they have forgotten. You're not relating to God as father, because if you're relating to God as father, you know what it took to make you a son or daughter. And that changes how you relate to other people. Now, some of you this morning would say, pastor, that makes sense biblically, but I don't have the strength to do that. I know that's why I'm calling you to be desperate. In fact, if you had the strength to forgive people this way, why would Jesus teach you to pray for it? If this was natural, if this was common to man, you wouldn't need to ask. But when you forgive in a supernatural way because you are so desperate for God to give you the strength to do what you can't do, who gets the glory for it? God does, not you, which is a life all about how it would be your name. When your ex-spouse looks at you and says, I can't believe that you were that gracious... When your friend at school looks at you and says you responded differently to me than anybody else ever has, your response then will be, I know. And it certainly wasn't me who did that. It was my King giving me the resources that I need to respond that way. And when that happens, God is glorified in our life. Now, I don't have time to go through the fact that, yes, there are still consequences and like eight hours to unpack more of that. I mean, it's just so much there, but there are other sermons, Lord willing, coming in the future, not today. We are so desperate for provision, amen? And we are so desperate for pardon and for the strength to pardon others. And the last is this, we are desperate for protection. Look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right here. As your pastor who cares a lot about shepherding you in the word. When you relate to God as father. And you really want your life to glorify his name and you have surrendered and made Him King of your life, expect war. Expect war. When you wave the white flag to Jesus, you better know that Satan waves the green flag at you. And you are not as strong as you think you are. And neither am I. Which is why Jesus says you're going to need to daily be desperate for me to give you the strength to persevere. Or you are walking dead meat. Satan doesn't care how many Lord's Prayer coffee mugs you make. That's no offense to him. But he does care when you start praying the Lord's Prayer and mean it. It is on. And Jesus says you need to pray, and I believe daily, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I believe the the correct translation there would be from the evil one. Another thing I don't have time to unpack this morning. What, is the, what does all this mean in terms of this temptation and testing? And I'll, I'll, I'll be brief with this. Look at James chapter 1. You'll notice it on the screen. I think this is going to be really helpful for some of you. So hang with me. James 1, 12-15 says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13. Let no one say, when he's tempted... I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil as he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. There's so much there, but here's the simple explanation right here. God takes every Christian through times of testing. Even Jesus went through that. In that test, Satan will try to lead you by your desires into temptation. God is testing you for obedience. Satan is trying to lead you to disobedience. So in the test can come a temptation from the evil one. Therefore, the prayer here that Jesus is telling us to pray is, God, in the test, don't let me fall to the evil one's temptation. Do you see? In the test that we may face daily, when we sit down to the computer, when we're at the, the, the water cooler at work, when, we're, when no one else is around. We will enter into a test where the evil one will try to come at desires to lead us into disobedience. And the prayer is God, when I face that test tomorrow, give me the strength not to fall to the evil one's temptation. Because after all, I want to hallowed your name. Because after all, you're my father. You're my father. You're my king. So help me, help me be obedient in the battle zones. Because we are not as strong as we think we are. Friends, we are at war. We're at war. Do you realize that? You, are, you have a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to chew you up and spit you out. When you're all about this kind of prayer. There are 10,000 war zones waiting for you right outside that door, and so we need his strength. We oh, that's an understatement. We desperately need his strength, or we are dead. Well, where do we go? Here's, here's where we end with this. Anybody desperate? <laughs> do you know what it's like to prepare this? my goodness, I feel like I've been shot through. I'm a desperate man. That's a good thing. Because if I wasn't, then I'd think I could do it. But in my desperation, where do I go? Where is my help? And here's how I want to close this morning and this series by just saying this. We go to the one, are you listening? we go to the one, not just who taught us the Lord's Prayer, but we go to the one who lived the Lord's Prayer. What do you mean, lived the Lord's Prayer? Here's what I mean. I'm saying that we must go to the one who one day was led into the wilderness, had been fasting for 40 days, and was starving, desperate for food, And the evil one came to him and said, Turn these stones into bread. And how did Jesus respond? Man shall not live by bread alone. Why? Because he trusted his Father to feed him. Where do you find strength in your desperation? You go to the one who was hanging on a cross, lungs gasping for air, body broke into pieces. The very ones that he loved were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And in that moment, he prayed. But he did not pray for his forgiveness, for he knew no sin. He prayed for yours. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Go to the one who hours before his death, hours before he would hang on the cross, prayed to his father. And do you know what he prayed to his father in John 17? He'd already surrendered his own deliverance, but he prayed for yours. When he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you deliver them from the evil one. What you need in your moment of desperation is not to recite the Lord's Prayer. What you need in your moment of desperation is to receive the Lord of this prayer, who lived it for us. And in our helplessness, in our desperation, He will give us what we need. Let's pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God, this is my prayer. Teach us to pray. God, teach us to pray. We don't want to pray like religious hypocrites. We don't want to pray like self-centered pagans. We want to know Your adopting grace whereby we call You Father. We want to live for the glory of Your name. We want to be surrendered in such a way that we are desperate for You every day. And may our knowledge of the Lord of the prayer be far greater than the Lord's prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.